Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. We're taking you through life, folks, one experience at a time. One, you know, little idiosyncrasy that you may have or your neighbor, one problem with the milkman, one problem with your boss. We're going to give you the tools, the ideas, the solutions on this show On this show, we don't just talk about the problems of life. We bring in the pros and start solving them. We want to give you a real leg up on this crazy thing called life. By the way, today, killer topic. Here's the topic. The upside of your dark side. There's an upside to some of the negative parts of your personality or your your tendencies. When you tend to have a bad day, there is an upside to the bad day. Sure, there is. There, it really is. Like, I had a really long. I went to uh, Lake Tahoe. Well, yeah. There's there's an upside for you your would upside. Think there, that that's an upside. Except I had to drive eight hours. That's the downside. You know. Okay. Wait. wait, wait well, eight with long kids hours with my wife, son-in-law, and my daughter. That wouldn't necessarily be all that bad. They were twitchy, <laughs> and obnoxious and irritating. No. I'm glad they're listening right now. It's eight. No, it was eight hours. They're they're not that bad. But the reality is, is it's a long time to drive. And I had to drive It's a long drive. So I went, had a wonderful, went to a wedding, my nephew's wedding. It was a beautiful experience. A wonderful wedding? A wonderful wedding. And beautiful experience. Downside, had to drive. Got home tired. Sure. Woke up this morning. Couldn't, actually didn't wake up. Well, the upside is, would have cost a lot more to fly. Yeah. Or is that a downside? Well, the down, that is a yeah. downside. Yeah. I meant upside, downside. Sorry. Yeah, so it saved me money. Right. So with every dark side, there's a light side. With every problem, there's an opportunity. True. Right. With every surgery. <laughs> there's a recovery. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, on the show today, we have got Robert Bizwaz Diener joining us. He has written the book. Um, the upside of your dark side. That's He's going to teach us about what's called positive psychology, basically, and what they're finding out. What he found out, interestingly, he didn't go and just ask all the super happy people what they're doing. He went to the homeless on the streets hmm. and found out what makes them happy. That's a good idea. He went to the places nobody goes to ask these questions. And so we're excited. We're going to have him on later. So also, he went to the dark side. He went to the dark side okay. to find out what makes us happy as human beings. You could go to just, you know, an NFL game, but there's a lot of happiness there until the team loses. Hmm. You know what I mean? Today, you're going to get the answers. You're going to learn how to apply it all to your life as well. Also, later on the show, Kim Giles will be joining us and uh, just a bunch of other fun stuff. So be thinking about you. What, what, what's your dark side? What seems to get in, you, in the way of you having a happy life? Let's see if we can't sort through this. But before we do, let's take a look at the headlines. Headliners from The Matt Townsend Show, a summary of stories that you might have missed. Dateline, a galaxy far, far away. Actually, we're just going to the Ukraine. That sounds like Don's walking in. <laughs> oh, This really? is what Don sounds like when he walks down the hall. We're going to have to hall. keep that theme now, I think. 
<laughs> no. We now call it Don's theme. <laughs> yeah, that, that might get me fired. But Don does wear a cape. Yeah, strangely enough, it's I know. It's a weird cape. I know. I mean, a lot of guys can't pull a cape off, but Don nailed it. He does it. Uh, but back to the Ukraine. So in the Ukraine, Darth Vader lives there, I guess. Actually, he does. Is that where he left? Is there that where is he a, ended up? There is a Ukrainian politician by the name of Sith Lord Darth Vader. You're kidding. I am not kidding you. He has changed his name. He wasn't. That was not his birth name. No, that was not his birth name. He changed his name to... And he is running for office. He's not stable. Uh, I, you, you wonder. I mean, that's weird. But he's running to become a member of parliament in is, the Ukraine. Does he have horns? No. But he does wear a Darth Vader costume and does not show his face. Yes. And he has videos. You can see the videos on YouTube of this guy, and it is crazy. Well, I mean, they're they're at war. Doesn't he have stormtroopers he could bring in? <laughs> there is a video there of him being followed by advantage stormtroopers. There may be a huge advantage to voting him in. Well, the voting is set to take place October 26th. We'll have to keep track of this and see <laughs> if, he, if he wins or not. But he is, he is representing the Internet Party of the Ukraine, mm. and he has an ambition to take a seat in the new Rada. Is uh, Anakin Skywalker there? I don't know. Huh. Anakin is dead. No more. Mm. It's just Sith Lord, Darth Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Sad. Yeah. (laughs) It's sad. But his uh, – the the most popular video that he has has him leading a horse through the countryside and he picks up some dirt. (laughs) And I I mean there's there's kind of a narration going on but it's in Ukrainian. So I have no idea what they're saying. Is he? And then he takes. Then from behind, you see him take the helmet off, and he's got this this traditional Ukrainian haircut. Oh, so he doesn't have that weird funky head. No. Okay, that's good. Well, there's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Does so, he, is he taking a page out of Vladimir Vladimir Putin's deal, where he's maybe. riding a horse without his shirt on, and you can see his chest? But he's no. still got his Darth Vader helmet on. No, he's not doing that. That may be in his next video, though. Because that would be phenomenal. Oh, there, yeah, there was there is a video out there too when he was running for Kiev's mayor. Oh, he didn't win. Where he? No, he didn't. For some reason, weird. That's a I know. Surprise. Yeah. But in this video, it, it's kind of um, was supposed to be called an assassination attempt on this guy. Oh, really? Yeah, they had they had Jedi Knights jump out of cars <laughs> with lightsabers and they battled. In yeah. This. Yeah. So, so uh, that's the dark funny. side we'll be that talking about today. That is the dark side. Yeah. Uh, there's got to be some good news. Maybe he could change the world, save that's the world. That's a possibility, or at least send in the storm the stormtroopers. I did find something a little more. Emotional to do so. Real about. news, yeah. Okay. Well, that, well, it's from the Huffington Post. Yeah. A list of twelve ways that corporations are secretly manipulating your emotions. Wow. <laughs> that was some the news has sound effects today. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. So how how are they manipulating us? Because I don't feel manipulated unless it's like tax season. Well, okay. Now we are going to mention a beverage here that's okay. Not. Okay. Part, you know, kids, you don't want your kids to drink this. Okay. But um, you've heard of uh, a beverage called Heineken? Yes. If you look at their logo, you'll see three E's in the name. Right. Each of those E's is designed to look like it's smiling. Really? But that's only to and, a person that's, ha- that's had about 12 Heinekens. Well, maybe. <laughs> if you also look at the Amazon logo. Yes. You know, the little arrow yeah. at the yeah. bottom that goes from the A to the Z? Yeah. It's supposed to be designed to look like a smile. 
It's supposed to look like a smiling face so that the e-commerce giant will benefit from feeling a little more human. Please. That is according to the agency's website that designed it. Seriously. They're trying to make... They're trying to make it look better. So a smiley face does Mm -hmm. it. Number two, Hmm. cereals and other brands use human-like mascots to make you feel like you know the product. Sure. Like... Tony the Tiger. Lucky Charms. You have the leprechaun. The, what are they? They're, they're magically what? They're magically delicious. <laughs> that, was that was the whole reason yeah, I did this story. Think, thanks so much, Sean. Yeah. It was really weird. We can't, we can't say leprechaun without looking. I know. You both looked at me immediately when you said Lucky Charms. I don't know why that is. Also, other characters on cereal boxes gaze. Their eyes are seriously pointed downward to make eye contact with children. Really? That's creepy. This is, that according does to this creepy. article, uh, Cornell's, uh, Cornell University's Food and Brand Lab said two-thirds of the characters on the boxes for popular children's cereals brands look down. Weird. So when you go to the store next time, check it out. That's weird. I, they also did a test where they changed where the eyes were focused uh-huh. at in the artwork, and they found that 20 uh, – <laughs> They found that a so-called brand trust rose by 16% and a feeling of connection to the brand increased by 28% when people were looking at the version where the character made eye contact with them. See, what all that means is you have to, once you've poured your cereal, set the box on the floor. Yeah, then it won't look at you. Then it's not, then you're looking down on it. So it's not creepy. (laughs) Who likes having something stare at them when they eat their cereal? IHOP redesigned their menu to make you more, order more food. Plus, they called it Moons Over My Hammy. No, that's Denny's. Okay. <laughs> but that's a, that, I still I mean, that's that right there. Pretty manipulative. But they, yeah. they did redesign it so that it's easier for customers to digest the menu. Well, it's not the menu said. we need to worry about digesting. How about uh, other sto- stores using specific smells in yeah. their store? Yeah, I've been there. Do you realize that Bloomingdale's intentionally uses the smell of coconut in their swimwear section? Really? Yes. Mm. Gold's Gym uses the smell of Sweat. nasty, sweaty people. <laughs> yeah. To Cinnabon. make you feel like you're – yeah. Cinnabon. Mm-hmm. Supermarkets put fruits and vegetables up front so that you buy them first. Yeah. Then you don't feel bad about buying the junk food yeah. when you're later on. I better get a banana and a store. Snickers bar. Exactly. Um, let's see. We had uh, JCPenney jacking up their prices so it looked like they were getting a big sale discount in the holidays. Yeah. That happened. <laughs> According uh, to Reuters, anyway. Uh, Apple. Yeah. You know what they do with their receipts from iTunes when what? you download something? What? And they send you a receipt in the email? Yeah. They wait. They delay those receipts by hours or days no, so you that. don't feel bad. No, I've seen that. My wife's like mm-hmm. a week later, who bought $5 worth of- There you go. Yeah. You know, um, Celine Dion. <laughs> how about restaurants not putting a dollar sign in so you'll forget about Yeah, it's not spending. money. They're just numbers. Exactly. Just put a tip of 20%. And then stores will uh, hook you by letting you touch things before you can buy them. Weird. The California Institute of Technology economists found that shoppers will pay up to 50% more for goods if they can touch them ahead of time. Really? Yeah. 50% more. 50% more. Up to. Come on, people. So come on. That's strange. So usually it's the other way that you're not allowed uh-huh. to touch it unless you're going to buy it. Exactly. How about music? Okay. What do you think slow music does for you in a store? 
Slows you down. Makes you go to sleep. It does. It makes you linger longer inside the store. Really? And you form emotional attachments with brands. See, that's why when you walk into a supermarket, you feel like you went back to the 70s. Mm-hmm. But up-tempo music. <laughs> it's slowed down. Up-tempo music is responsible for fast shopping and more impulse buying. That's it. What so, we got to do is just give us drugs right when we walk in the door. <laughs> just hand us. Here, would you like some pills to make your shopping easier today? Folks, we're very manipulated. What's the deal? We're manipulatable. Hey, today on the show, though, great topic coming up. Uh, Robert Bizwaz Diener is going to be joining us. He is the author of the book, The Upside of Your Dark Side. He's going to show us how bad things actually could enhance the good in your life. We need both the good and the bad to find healthy, happy lives. We're going to talk about it when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Changes. Today we're going to show you how you can change, or not necessarily change, but understand how sometimes the downside of life creates a healthier upside. Maybe happiness is found not just in being happy and up all the time. Maybe sometimes it's those downsides that actually create the catalyst for the upside or even um, the comparison. We're going to find out and learn from the pros today. Robert Biswas Diener is the author of the book The Courage Quotient uh, and also another book called Happiness. He's a widely known he's widely known as the Indiana Jones of positive psychology because of his research on happiness which has taken him to such far-flung places as Greenland, India, Kenya. Robert is the managing director of Positive Acorn and lives in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Robert, welcome to the Matt Townsend show. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be here. It is. It's so great to have you. And I love this topic, the upside of your dark side. You've written on psychology today a lot about happiness. Talk to us. Just give us help us understand what does it mean, the upside of your dark side? Certainly. So if you think about um, the conversation starting with happiness, most people think that happiness feels good and that happiness is good, that we ought to experience happiness. The problem comes uh, is when we think too much about happiness or when we think that we only have the right to experience happiness. And anything short of that starts feeling like some kind of emotional failure. So I just wanted to give people permission to the extent that I'm someone who can (laughs) give permission. Yeah. um, that, That it's okay to occasionally feel bad. And it's not just that that's occasionally acceptable. It turns out it's actually more than that, that, it's, that it can even lead you to be more successful. I love that idea. I mean, is it just human nature that would make us only want the, you know, the sugar and not the healthy foods? Is it, is it, the, is it us that we only want the sweet and not the sour? What is it? Well, it's a a great question. Um, And, you know, people differ, you know, everyone's a little bit different. You know, there's some people who, you know, they kind of hate all that happy stuff. They only want to be critical and negative. (laughs) But as people are more able to become happy, that is, as people are more able to be comfortable, you know, you'll never have to be bored again so long as you have a smartphone that you can whip out while <laughs> you're so waiting true. in line. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we just are becoming, we're getting out of practice with discomfort kind of in the modern era. 
And as people are more able to achieve happiness because maybe the quality of life is going up or standards of living are going up, um, people start thinking that there is an imperative to be happy. You know, can you imagine uh-huh. going to the grocery store and the grocery clerk kind of saying, you know, hey, how are you doing? And you saying, I'm so glad you asked because actually I've had a couple of really rough setbacks today. And, you know, it, we're just expected to say things are good, yeah. things are fine, I can handle it. Um, and real life isn't always 100% like that. You, you're even saying, I mean, we we do the same thing, you know, with the concept you're supposed to be perfect, and perfection is is you know you you, you got to be your best, but maybe in life there's a big place for us to understand and experience not our best. Yeah, it's really astute of you. I'm so glad that you brought up perfection because this is kind of an emotional perfection. Yeah. And one place that you see both the kind of perfection you're talking about and the kind of emotional perfection I'm talking about is among kids and in the classroom. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because uh, there was a study with parents, and when asked what the parents wanted academically for their children at school, and these, these were grade schoolers, you know, not, uh-huh. not folks in, in higher education, the parents said things like, we want our daughter to have high self-esteem. We want her to be accepted socially. We, we don't want her to be picked on. We want her to have tons of friends. Oh, and it's okay also, we, we'd like her to be appropriately challenged in math. <laughs> and it was almost like this recognition of challenge was isolated completely to academics. Interesting. And, and understood that, that the same challenge that might help you learn math, you know, things like confusion or hardship or setbacks, could not also be helpful on the playground, which of course it is. Sometimes you have to negotiate tough relationships or, or things like right. that. Right. Is that what you call wholeness? I know in the book, the thesis of the book is about wholeness. Yeah, exactly. That that I I think to some degree, modern people not not a hundred percent, but many modern people are sort of divorced from themselves. That is, they forget that it's okay to experience the wide range of your natural psychological architecture. It's just as acceptable for you to feel guilty or sad sometimes it is as it is for you to feel enthusiastic or joyful. Mm. And when you can experience all of it, you're whole in the way that, that you were intended to be, using all the parts that were given to you. It seems like we we don't seek after the wide range of all of our experiences. We we kind of only want the good side, and we're willing to tolerate some of the bad side. But I hear you saying we need to maybe be more willing than just tolerating it. We maybe even need to accept it, enjoy it, <laughs> I mean, do something Absolutely. with it. And I would say actually even use it. Yeah. So just to give you a couple quick examples of that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, guilt feels particularly icky. You know, I don't want to have to spend too much time feeling guilt. Right. But guilt, guilt's a wonderful part of our architecture. Guilt tells you that you've done something that violates your own moral or ethical code. It's a great wake-up call. It has motivational consequences. It sort of gives you an opportunity to, to redirect the rudder and steer yourself right. right. And if you lack the capacity to feel guilt, then, of course, you, you wouldn't live as good a life. I, I want to live in a society where people feel remorse for their actions. And, and people who are incarcerated, for example, who feel guilty about what they do, those people are, are significantly less likely to reoffend than the people who feel not guilty about what they do. So this, we really have, then, we've created this fairly balanced, you know, uh, structure 
for ourselves psychologically, mentally, where we're, we would love to have the the benefit, the good side, and yet there's still the negative side as we see it that that has super uh, that's advantageous for us, so that's enlightening. Exactly, and I, I like that you use the word balance because I actually don't think it's fifty fifty. I don't think yeah. you should be angry half the time yeah, no. and joyful half the time. It's no good for your wife or anyone else. And I guess does it matter um, which one we search yeah. after, or, well, or does that impact happiness- us? It does, actually, yeah. So people who actually use happiness as a goal, and that's what they're looking for, Uh they report being a little bit lonelier. They report having a harder time enjoying things. So I like to think of all of these emotions as sort of a byproduct rather than a goal. You should go ahead and work hard and try and learn things and have fun and connect with others uh, and do good in the world. All of those are good goals. And you will naturally have these emotional byproducts when you don't get your favorite parking spot yeah. or when you do see a friend after a long time. You don't need to make the goal, the, the emotions themselves the goal. I love that. And so you, you use examples like service or growth or development or learning. I guess those would be better than an emotion, a feeling. That's right. And if you end up doing good in the world, doing some volunteer work or, or learning a lot or connecting with others – by and large, you probably will feel happy as a result of that. Right. And you did this research. I mean, you're a positive psychologist. You really are one of the pioneers, I think, in the in the area of positive psychology. And you you did you learned this in uh, about you studied happiness kind of in some unusual places. Yeah. Like absolutely. what? Ta- just just give us a quick explanation of where you went, what you did. Sure. So I was interested in getting out of the laboratory, nothing against college students, but a a lot of psych studies are done with college students. And I wanted to go to the slums of Calcutta or with tribal people in in Kenya and just find out what what are people who are outside the world economy like or people living in poverty and just find out from their own mouths and just talk to them and interview them about what the quality of their life is. And I don't romanticize, for example, the slums of Calcutta. I don't think, oh, they're the happiest people in the world because they're <laughs> yeah. worried. You know, they're, they're hungry. They have health problems. But they're also not as miserable as you might think. Um, and they do find this kind of spirited struggle as part of their life narrative and they're, they're resilient people and they do have, you know, moment to moment pleasure. Like one woman who I interviewed who said, you know, the best part of my day yesterday was um, paying a little bit of money. I don't have much money, but going into the movie theater because it's air conditioned in there. Oh. Me and my friend went in there just to enjoy the air conditioning and gossip all afternoon. How beautiful is that? I mean, really, that seems like the such a powerful lesson. We're going to uh, take a break, folks. And I want to come back. We're going to continue our discussion with Robert Biswas-Diener, Dr. Robert Biswas-Diener, uh, teaching us about the upside of the dark side of life, the difficulties of life. Uh, even in Calcutta, they can still find peace and joy getting a little air conditioning in a movie theater. Uh, there's always the good side, and we want to, to learn from understanding the good and the bad. When we come back, more right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Today we are talking about the upside of your dark side. Uh, by the way, it's a book you got to go check out, uh, written by today's guest. And um, honestly, this subject is—it seems like a no-brainer. But folks, we don't—we don't talk about the value and benefit of you know all of the hard things that happen in life. We do it funerals. We'll bring it up then. We do it, you know, in a sermon in your church, your pastor, your bishop, somebody will say that the power that comes from the trials here on earth. And yet most of us poo-poo it, and then we go back on our search for happiness. Today, we've asked Dr. Robert Biswas-Diener, who is the author, co-author of the book, The Upside of Your Dark Side, to join us today. He's also the author of The Courage Quotient, which came out in 2012, and Happiness in 2008. Uh, he really is a pioneer in the field of psychology, positive psychology. Uh, he's also known as the Indiana Jones of positive psychology because he's traveled all over the world to find out what makes humans tick. And um, even though, you know, somebody's struggling, dying, really having a hard time on the streets of Calcutta, there's still a lot of good things and joy. And they actually see that it's part of their life is the struggle. So we've, act, we've asked Dr. Robert Biswas-Diener uh, back to join us. Robert, thanks again for being here. Thanks so much, Matt. I really, I think it's so powerful. And I think you're, this is the, I think the great benefit of positive psychology is let's go study what, not just all the abnormal things that can happen to somebody. Let's go study humans all over and find out what works, what makes them feel happy, what makes them healthy. And, uh, and I so appreciate you've done that. One of the things in all the research you've, fi- you've found and um, talked about is this concept of the comfort addiction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't know if I coined this phrase or if someone else did, so I'm not trying to take credit for it. But it's this idea that, that people naturally want to be comfortable, right? You right. don't want to just sleep outside in the rain. You want a soft bed. You want to stay dry. You want to stay warm. But you can follow this to, to its sort of illogical conclusion, and you want comfort everywhere all the time. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to have to wait in, in freeway traffic. You don't want to have to be bored or frustrated. Yeah. You don't want to have to be even mildly cold. Um, you know, so it's not just physical comforts, but it's psychological comforts as well. And the more that we only feel comfort, the more out of practice we get with discomfort. Mm. That's why um, some young kids, for example, you take them up into the mountains and they're really uncomfortable mm-hmm. just with the idea of being outdoors or outside because it's so unfamiliar to them. It's it's interesting. And um, I just had a, a conversation with my children where we talked about, I want to know something that was hard for you to do because it seems like they don't want to do anything that's difficult. And just having the conversation of, of what they did that was difficult started a really interesting, I guess, uh, experience for our family where we now realize we need to put our children in some positions that stretch them a little bit more. Well, that's exactly it. You find this is a, a real sort of generational phenomenon, um, and I don't mean to sound like an old person, you know, <laughs> hearkening back to yeah. the good old days. I remember something. when. But if you if you talk to folks who are, let's say, between 60 and 80 years old, the chances that they lived through some very tough um, social or economic upheaval, at least in the United States, and they're just a bit grittier, they're just a bit right. tougher, they've experienced a lot of hardship, and you can compare them with middle-aged folks and then with young people, 
And the young people have a little bit harder time because they've had parents who swoop in and rescue them, that who they've had things be a little bit more convenient. They've grown up in a much higher standard of living. You know, they never had to pack their... Right. Never gone to war. Yeah, exactly. Gone to war for many of them or, or, you know, had to pack up their house because of an economic Mm -hmm. crisis or the Dust Bowl or something like that. Some, of course, have, but it's not the the typical experience. So so sometimes, especially like you just said, as a parent, you... You kind of have to allow your kids to experience hardship, which, as a parent myself, I think is so tough to actually do. Well, yeah, especially because then it will inconvenience you. Then you'd have to go camping, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I I just uh, had my son, who's a teenager, forget to hand in a paper at school. And I know I could solve that problem oh, yeah. for him. It would, be, it would be nothing. He actually had the paper done. I could go talk to his teacher. I could fix it. Yeah. And yet, I think I'm going to allow him to, to fail. At the I paper, love it. Even though that'll bring down his grade, and it's, hard, it's a hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah. No, but see, oh, that is, that's the answer though, right? I mean, I guess the antidote to comfort addiction is to allow, you don't have to like conjure up horrible things, but just allow life to happen to your kids or your, or yourself. Well, that's the, you just said it perfectly because, you know, to, to have discomfort doesn't mean that we need to go out and recommend that people buy shoes three right. sizes too small yeah. and wear them around. That's right. Because life is full of all sorts of natural little discomforts. You don't have to go out of your way to experience it. You just have to quit distracting yourself from it or avoiding it and realize, wait a minute, you know what? This discomfort's actually okay. A tiny bit of failure, low stakes failure is okay. I actually can tolerate a little bit of sadness. If I'm bored one afternoon, it's not going to kill me. And instead of just whipping out the, the smartphone or flipping on the TV or whatever the people do, just kind of experience it and, and flex those emotional muscles. Talk, talk to us about what does, what does failure do for us um, psychologically that's positive? Sure. Well, failure um, is part of how we learn, first of all. Um, I think um, Edison and others are are kind of common go-to historical case studies. Edison, I don't know if this is true or not, but he famously quipped, I failed my way to success (laughs) um, through not inventing, you know, figuring out so many different ways, you know, that the light bulb wouldn't work. Um, And we even find, for example, in a single study of, of college students, those who were in math class and were confused at first and really just kind of struggling and it wasn't clicking, if they persevere, they end up performing better on tests than students who get it right away. Really? Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So The fight so matters, doesn't it? I guess it stiffens your spine metaphorically. Yeah. It tightens it, your emotion. It, it makes you engage. You can learn from your mistakes. It makes you consider alternatives. Um, and it is associated uh, a little bit with perseverance. Now, you want those, those failures to be pretty low stakes. You know, I mm-hmm. always talk about you don't want the doctor to amputate the wrong leg. Yeah, oops, you know, yeah. That's, that's too big. Yeah, but you'll um, learn but a lot a emotionally. Lot of, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Exactly, right. exactly. So a lot of a lot of mistakes are are kind of of the small variety. You forgot to to um, put on a turn signal when you're driving. Those types of things. Mm-hmm. Does so then in your studies, if if I had a magic wand and I could eliminate all of the negative from someone's life, be, either by being a parent that was really protective, 
or just, you know, we were so advanced technologically that we could take away a lot of the negative, what would end up happening to us? We might all be bored to death. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, imagine, imagine going to see a film that has no drama in it, that yeah. there was no conflict where everyone got along and was mutually supportive, and they all sort of enjoyed a slow-paced, meaningful activity. Yeah. It, it would be a, a terrible watch. Well, and Snooky wouldn't even be in our vernacular. <laughs> we wouldn't exactly be talking right. about <laughs> the New Jersey, whatever, Snooky. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. You need the tension... The, not, no, you you should embrace it. It's a it's a great gift, really. This negative, the dark side of life, it yeah, offers you I, something. I would never wish for someone to get cancer or get no. in a car accident as a growth experience. But because cancer and car accidents do happen, um, better to grow out of them than to have them destroy your life. Why do they scare us so bad? Why do the negative emotions? have so much power? I, that's a great question, and I think there, there are a few reasons. One is, I, I feel like people, to some extent, feel like our emotions represent sort of a lower, more animalistic side of us, mm-hmm. not like logic and rationality, and that if we start feeling a particular way, we're going to get stuck that way. And the, the two that point, people point to commonly are guilt and anger, that somehow... If you feel guilty, you're more likely to feel guilty about everything, and you're just going to beat yourself up about stuff and have low self-esteem. But, but generally, that's not true. That mm. can happen. But, you know, you yourself, Matt, have felt guilty before. And Every day. And you that way now. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I we, mean, you're not, you're, it's just not a, the tsunami that's crashing yeah. over you. You, you. you try and feel it appropriately, and anger is the same way. Typically, most of us, even though we get a bit hot-headed from time to time, we end up not punching other people, not screaming out in right. anger. Um, we do occasionally make mistakes angry, maybe hurt our, our loved ones or say something we, we you know, didn't intend or that was a bit crueler. Um, but those all tend to be reparable um, instead of irreparable mm-hmm. mistakes. Well, and it seems like, I guess this is just our our body's way of you know, supposedly trying to protect us, but simultaneously making us afraid of something that's not our enemy, but really a friend, well, a that's teacher. Exactly right. I, I think that all emotions are functional. The anger helps you to confront and, and defend the things you care about. I think that fear helps to keep you cautious when when you might be threatened. Sadness helps you conserve your resources mm. and pull in social support. Guilt helps, helps you to redirect your, your behavior towards something that's more morally acceptable. So all of these are, are kind of, they, they're emotions that are like, a, I think of them like a thermometer. They're, they're taking the temperature of your day-to-day life. And so when you feel sadness or fear or guilt, it's kind of telling you a little bit about what's going on around you. And people who only want to feel happy, they're, they knowingly break that thermometer. It's as if they only wanted to, to be able to measure a narrow range of their mm. experience. I guess, yeah, and assume you're going to hit it on the first shot, which just isn't exactly. going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. We're talking with Dr. Robert Biswas Diener. you got to go check out this book. Um, really, The Upside of Your Dark Side. Powerful book, along with two other books he's written, The Courage Quotient and Happiness. Really, uh, lucky to have a guy like Robert, uh, I think, on this earth, willing to teach us and go study and figure it out so that the rest of us um, 
don't just have to feel guilt and be afraid of it. We can also use that guilt to redirect our lives. We're going to take a break, my friends. Come back, continue this discussion with Dr. Robert Biswas-Diener. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. That's Kelly Clarkson. We've been playing a lot of Kelly lately. I, I say her name Kelly like we're friends. Like my friend Kelly. That's her song right there, The Dark Side. Just Dark Side. Today, though, we're talking about your dark side. You know, your dark side may have an upside. You, it's good to know and to recognize the emotions that you're feeling. It's good to know that anger is going to make you confront your issues. Unless, of course, you use anger to just run away and avoid it. If we're afraid of our emotions, if we are afraid of, you know, what we're feeling, we may never truly live. We may never truly learn. We also apparently um, may then just seek only pleasure and having a life only full of pleasure without some of these other, uh, what we would jokingly say, the darker emotions may leave you uh, empty, and uh, it might be something you don't want to, you may not want to wish even on your enemies. Joining us right now, Dr. Robert Biswas-Diener is the author of the book we're discussing, The Upside of Your Dark Side, also the author of The Courage Quotient and Happiness. You can go get all of those books uh, at Amazon, anywhere out there. You can also go um, and look up uh, Positive Acorn, which is uh, what Robert is the managing director of that organization. Robert, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. What, what is Positive Acorn? <laughs> positive Acorn, we bet the idea of planting a positive seed in people um, and in organizations. We do corporate consulting, looking at, at happiness programs and companies, gratitude yeah. programs, uh, and we also teach um, coaching courses so that people can do things like parent better, manage better. Um, in some cases, we have psychotherapists who come to us, all who want to look at, at happiness-related information and how to use That's it awesome. as they help to foster others. Well, and really, with this, there's a big movement in corporate America where they're studying how disengaged all of the employees are. Uh, 70% or so of, of the employees in our workforce talk about being disengaged where they're not connected to the mission or the purpose. They're not really loving what they're doing. And it seems like Positive Acorn may be an answer to that. Oh, yeah, thanks. Well, it's one of the interesting things you and I have talked a lot about sort of the dark side, of course, but I, I do want to be clear that I am a big fan of happiness. Yeah. Um, and and the happiness, when you experience it, it seems to have benefits. You know, happy people make more money. They're a little bit healthier. They're more likely to get married and stay married. They show up to work on time. They quit work less. They go to the emergency room less often. They're more likely to wear their seatbelts. I mean, the mm. list just goes on and on of these benefits associated with feeling good about yourself. And, and they really are... You're saying we, we should go after – our goal just shouldn't be the feeling of happiness. Our goal should be progress, movement, direction, momentum, but not just focusing solely on the negative emotions or, or happiness. That's right. I think, I think happiness as a goal is about as good a goal as the acquisition of money. That is, having money might be – 
terrific. It, it about, you know, it, it might allow you to um, donate to worthy causes, um, to have a comfortable retirement, to um, put your kids through college. I mean, all sorts of really, really good things can be done with money. But I don't think many people would argue that, that that's the goal people should have. Right. That that's what you would encourage your kid to do. Rather, you would hope that the acquisition of money would be the byproduct of meaningful good work. And it's uh, it's interesting, yeah. If we if we tie it to our work and maybe a process of how we're finding it, th- then you might be able to have it more often, more consistently. You might be able to be more dynamic to turn a bad situation into something more happy or more positive. Yeah, absolutely. Is talk about mindfulness. I know that's been in the news a lot lately. And in your research of positive psychology, how does how does mindfulness benefit us? So mindfulness is pretty good. It's it's a really popular practice right now. I guess originally it came from Buddhism, um, but really it's just about not telling stories in your head and just kind of being consciously aware of actually what's in front of you instead of just your interpretation of it. Um, So people who meditate, for example, are just trying to take in the present moment without a lot of judgment on that present moment. Um, So the way mindfulness is practiced, it's it's in a non-religious context, you know, just about attention. Yeah, being focused. Um, yeah, exactly. Your focus, and it, and it and it turns out to be pretty pretty beneficial for people. Your, people who do mindfulness practices are better able to to kind of tolerate negative emotions. Their their emotions are a little bit more even keeled. They feel a little bit happier. They have a few um, physiological benefits. Um, but I also argue that mindlessness is good that you don't necessarily want to be yeah. hyper aware of the present moment at every single second. <laughs> right. um, and, you know, sometimes, you, you know, the shower effect is, is a really um, well-known uh, piece of counter evidence to this, which is a lot of good ideas come about when you're just kind of spacing out in the shower. And, and um, when you're on autopilot, you know, driving to the store or whatever it is, your mind is making more creative, more tenuous connections, and you're more likely to be um, inventive and have good ideas when you're mindless, not when you're Interesting. mindful. Isn't that, I mean, again, this, this seems like we're really, you're going to make my mom very mad. <laughs> She's always like, focus, stay focused. And But really, a lot of times, maybe what we're saying here is, there is a benefit to mindfulness. We all know that. But there's also a benefit to the opposite, allowing it your head to empty. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And in fact, I'm even going to give you a ratio for positive emotions to negative emotions, for mindfulness to mindlessness. Um, but I, I want to just make sure that everyone listening knows that this is a little bit artificial. I mean, it, really, a psychologist can't come in and say, well, if you right. have exactly this number, then yeah. that's what you need. But generally, we find that it's about 80-20, that people do experience about 80% positive emotions, about 20% negative, about 80% mindfulness maybe, and about 20% mindless. And what you what you want to do is be able to flexibly shift back and forth. I'm not saying that that's yeah. the hard and fast rule that everyone needs to shoot for, but it's a good guideline. I love that. It seems like where we run into maybe some more of that shifting is the minute we have to be around other people. You know, if I if I could just live in a world without people, I'm telling you, I'd really yeah, have exactly. something going. Talk about how because like kindness, I know kindness is something you talk about in your book, but it, kindness does have its limits. It, it, this is probably the most controversial or provocative portion of the book because everyone 
would argue kindness is good, right? Kindness is better. <laughs> but every once in a while, we do some things that seem mildly manipulative. Mm-hmm. Flattery comes to mind. Complimenting someone um, comes to mind. Um, not, you, like, could you ever imagine a situation where you wouldn't be totally, totally honest with someone? And there might be good ways. Um, sometimes you tell someone, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm, I'm giving you consolation. And that, that consolation is actually a lot more appropriate than telling you the hard truth, which sure. is it's absolutely not going to be okay. You're probably, yeah. this is probably going to hurt for a long time. Um, um, and, and you're not being a mean person or a bad person or a jerk or manipulative when you do that. Um, but, but just realizing that it's okay to, to kind of switch between those states, but mostly you should be kind. Well, and I think of a client I have whose philosophy of life is kindness, except she's being taken advantage of by a highly manipulative person. And her yeah. kindness keeps rebooting her back to just being manipulated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So kindness is is great. But again, you know, kindness might get your suitcase back when the airline loses it. (laughs) But a display of anger might also be appropriate. Not that you should mistreat the person on the other side of the counter in any way, but just showing them, you know what, this makes me angry could be okay. Well, that's I love that point. Because again, back to kind of this perfection concept emotionally, or even physically, we we a lot of times even in religious worlds you know church worlds we we think we can't be we can't make a mistake by like getting angry and so okay. we we pretend like we don't but we're angry inside but we act like we're not and it just seems like that's got to tear us up yeah that that we call that suppression and when you tamp down those emotions, you actually end up a little bit, it's a blunt instrument, you tamp down yeah. a little bit of your happiness as well, and it leads in the long term to people getting emotionally exhausted. And then they're like, I can't do this anymore. Exactly. But, yeah. Talk about, we have about a couple, just a couple minutes left. What What else do we need to know when it comes to your book, Upside of Your Dark Side? What, what else is just essential for all of us to be thinking about? Well, I would say um, when you think about your pursuit of happiness, a lot of people think about, oh, can I get the right circumstances, the right job, the right spouse, the right money? But I think about it a little bit in terms of something else. I think about balancing novelty and familiarity. Hmm. And all humans need both. Uh, You want the familiar because it's predictable and easy and it doesn't require as much of your energy. But you also want novelty because that's where you'll be challenged and you'll learn and you'll grow. And when you naturally are challenged, learn and grow, you're going to end up being a better person for everybody. It's great to have a world full of learners. Yeah, that seems like a powerful kind of quick solution. You know, if you're bored, then you need some novelty. And if you're stressed, you probably need some familiarity. If you could somehow introduce both of them, you found... You found nirvana. You found at least a balance point for now. That's right. And I'm, I'm glad that you said stress, though, because when you go to novelty, like if you take a trip to Europe or something, it includes a little bit of stress mm-hmm. because it's unpredictable. So you're kind of shifting back and forth 
the familiar and the happy and the peaceful versus the stressful and the changing and the novel. Yeah. And, and I think that's when you end up living a pretty whole and rich and good life, so long as you're also doing right action. I love it. Well, I so appreciate it, Robert. Really, I've learned a lot. And uh, we're going to have to have you back. I'd love to talk about your other books as well. Again, Robert Biswas Diener is his name. He's the author of The Upside of Your Dark Side, also another book, The Courage Quotient, and Happiness. Go check out his website, positiveacorn.com, and uh, and seriously, keep understanding that tension. He described it perfectly, the tension we have in life between novelty and familiarity. We're going to take a break, my friends, and continue this discussion about understanding the dark side of your life up next, right here on The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little ACDC for you. Back in black. Boy, this reminds me of cruising around town in my OP pants. <laughs> my eyes on. Does that stand for overly puffy? No. Oh. Those are different pants. Well, someday we'll have to tell the puffy pants story. One of these days. Not today. Okay. Hey, um, we, today we're discussing, though, the upside of... Your Dark Side, which was a book by our last guest, Robert Biswas Diener. A wonderful book. And I personally, so I'm a relationship coach. I spend all day, when I'm, I guess not anymore. When I'm on the radio, I'm not doing it, except I end up talking all the time to James. But James never has a relationship problem. Boring. And um, here's what we do, though, all he, day long. He could develop one real quick with those knives he gave. I know. She's going to be coming in. Molly. Molly's going to not be. That he, not the fact that he gave knives. No. The fact that they could be used against him. Well, someday. Yeah. Someday. But uh, what I like to do is when I work with people, and they always come in and I say, so what's going on? And they immediately go to what I call the dark side. They start to tell me everything that's wrong. He doesn't like me. He doesn't like me. The house is a mess. She never touches me. And off we go. Here we go. And this is, just sounds like every day with James. You know what I mean? And um, isn't how should they start off though? If that's not the way to start off, well, let me tell you the secret. Because I've never seen a marriage improve by knowing how messed up we are. Okay. So as long as you're going to talk about what doesn't work, this is this is there's a magical side to uh, what I call appreciative. Inquiry. Inquiry. This is actually a field of, of study. If you're going to fix something, focus on the appreciative side, not the depreciative side. Meaning, don't just be positive and happy. I'm oh, saying, I... if your wife tells you, hypothetically, that you don't help around the house, who yesterday, Sunday, yes. sat on that couch from 3 to 9 o'clock? Sean, who? Not who? me. Not me. Okay, but so if that's where she goes, then what she's telling you— I was doing other stuff. So no, what, what is she telling you she didn't like? You're lazy. So she might even throw the word out there. You're lazy. Right. You don't care. I made dinner. I made lunch, and I made dinner. I cleaned up lunch, and I cleaned up dinner. And you just sat there, and you watched game after game, and you just ignored. And remember when so-and-so needed help with their homework? Who didn't help her? And so then they'll go down a list in their anger of everything they don't like. 
Now, what's going on inside of you when you're hearing that? Oh, you're you're just you're you're gathering information, yeah, about them, and and you're like, oh, here we go, yes, oh, here we go. You made the dinner, but you didn't cook it all the way through, so I had to recook (laughs) or or reheat my own dinner. So then, all of a sudden, we start hitting each other with what we don't like about each other, and then we're exhausted and emotionally overwhelmed, and we get nowhere. Mm-hmm. So watch what is so interesting. Every time somebody brings up what's negative, they are simultaneously in that very moment telling you what they want. What does she want? She wants you to help around the house. Bing. What else does she want? She wants you to help with the homework. Bing. What else does she want? <laughs> that was amazing how that just she came wants out you of to nowhere. Make a meal. <laughs> yeah, I do that. See, so the irony is when she's yelling at you or frustrated with what you don't do, Mm -hmm. all we do is we reinforce what we don't do. If you want to start to create a change, what we probably ought to start focusing on is talking more about what we want to see than what we don't want to see. It's easier to get somebody to change to what we want than to get them to stop what we don't want. I've always heard when you want to talk to somebody about something negative, you should start with a positive. Well, yeah. But see, that's a trick, too, because everyone knows there's going to be a positive, then a negative, and then a positive. We call well, that the, the sandwich. Or the butt. Yeah, that butt. I like the way you do this, but. but. Exactly. Nobody likes to. Nobody likes the butt. <laughs> and so the problem with it is you can't trick people on this. What this is about is if you're going to try to change a relationship, I could have a couple come in and they can spend two hours telling me everything they hate about each other. And guess what we know at the end of the two hours? Well, everything that they hate about each other. And there are new things that the other didn't even know they hated. I bet there's some that are even invented. Oh, yeah. And by, by the way, they get more invented because we're hijacked oh, yeah. and we're mm-hmm. emotionally saying things we shouldn't be saying. So instead, it would probably be more advantageous to spend the same two hours saying something like, can you tell me where in your marriage you felt like Sean was really helping around the house? And then she can go back into the past. My, I would, you would hear crickets probably. <laughs> no, but I wouldn't because there was a time somewhere, and it may have been 20 years ago or whatever, 10 years ago, when you were different. And so I wanted to go back to where it was positive and tell me what you were doing. Probably when I was out of work. And <laughs> so, but it might be. Like, I remember when Sean was unemployed and da, 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 and he did this and he's attentive and he, was, and he was helping around the house. So by the way, all of those are more beneficial for us to hear than what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then I could tell, I could ask you today, can you give me an example today of something Sean did that made you feel, feel like he was helping more around the house? And she would probably come up with, well, yeah, he helped, he helped me get the kids off to school, and he drove that carpool in the morning. Actually, I make breakfast every day. Do you? Yeah. Do you know that this is just all an example? This Shh. isn't actually about you. It is? This is not real. I thought she called. No. Oh. But she will now. Yeah. Now that you didn't know that. <laughs> but what, what's so powerful is when all of a sudden I start her having her find things today that you did, then she doesn't have to throw you out because of yesterday. She can go back to two, ten years ago, whatever, when you and were. you out for that. <laughs> and, well, when you were doing it productive, and then she can go back to today, this morning, what you did mm-hmm. that was productive. And then I could say, so if I had a magic wand and I could make it so he was constantly there and being um, more helpful around the house, what would that look like? And she could go to the future and tell me what that would look like. The past, the present, and the future where it worked will always be more valuable than going backwards where it didn't. Mm. Always. So in our relationships, the minute you're fighting about the past, you are messed up. 
<laughs> you're you're messed up because you're already it's useless. It's like me telling you do not do not think about a purple elephant. Don't think about it. Don't think about an elephant in your car, getting in your car and you look over and an elephant sitting right there. Don't think about that. No, I have a green hippo on a bus. Do you? Mm-hmm. Okay, but so what's that? No, notice. So you're not even thinking. You're you now had to make something up. Yes, that was opposite of what I wanted you to make That's exactly up. Exactly what I did. But the interesting thing is, which means you're still not focused where we need you focused. That's true. So the irony of all of this, and we've got to be real about it in our relationships. Well, you can fight till you're dead about what you don't want, and when you die, you still won't have what you want. Or you can start to identify what you do want: past where you've had it. Present, where you saw it today, or future, what it would look like. Now, then if they don't want it, then if they're going to reject you on it, okay. But if, if I ask somebody to do something like, you know, help more around the house and they just won't do it, that's a different problem than, um, than this historical fight about whether they love you enough or are willing to do it. It's, we've got to know what it is. I sat in a meeting once with a company where we talked for about half a day, four hours about what low morale looks like in their company. Hmm. By the end of four hours, took four hours, 30 people in a room with everyone giving examples of low morale. When I walked in that room, I had a little bit of an idea what low morale looked like. When I was done after four hours, I had 100 examples of what low morale looks like in my company. Hmm. So I just spread the cancer. I just spread it, the low morale cancer. Wouldn't it have been more advantageous to go to the light side And I'm not saying be positive. I'm saying if we're going to talk about low morale, don't tell me where we don't have it. Can you give me three examples? I want everyone in this room to give me three examples of what high morale looks like inside inside of our organization. And I'll bet you in that same room of 30 people, they could have each given me three examples, Uh which would have equaled 90 examples of where it's working. Then let's go try to replicate that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's the upside of the dark side. Or you can just keep wallowing in the ugly. And that, by the way, let's get very real. I'm not sitting here saying being happy. Don't, I'm not saying be happy. I'm saying if you're going to fix something, you don't fix it by figuring out what's broken and then giving me 50 examples of what's broken. I could go to the I – I just did this at Home Depot. I had a toilet that was leaking all night long. Leak, leak, leak. And, oh, I hate um, that, that noise. I hate it. Yes. And apparently it cost me a lot of money in the water bill. Yes, it does. And so I could go in and spend hours oh, it's, it's talking pretty, to the guy yeah, about what's wrong. But it's wrong. an easy fix. Well, all I have to do is go look at what it should look like. Yeah. And what I found out is when I looked at what the toilet uh, – the insides of the toilet should look like, like the flapper and everything. Yes. Mine wasn't flapping right. Ah. My flapper wasn't flapping. <laughs> and once I just saw how it should look, I knew how to fix it. I could talk to, for hours to people about my flapper or about the noise. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody that knows what it should look like and how it should work, they're not going to spend hours talking about what it's not doing. They'll just say, oh, yeah, the flapper has to flap all the way closed. We're right. going to lose water the whole time. Yeah, that's your problem. And those do run out. You have to replace them every now and then. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. No. But, you know, tell me that's not the truth. Whose I've, flapper I've replaced, hasn't, you know, mine. worn out? I've replaced three of them, actually. By the way, I just got a great deal. Three for $10. There you go. So I've got uh, I got an extra set if either of you guys need a new flapper. Mm-hmm. I could use a flapper, yeah. Yeah. It's not for your mouth, James. Uh, what? what maybe, are we talking about? maybe Molly would like a flapper. <laughs> I, I mean, instead of a, instead I of a 1920s... 
Have you ever seen Maybe. that commercial flap on? You flap off. Flap off. The flapper. <laughs> Thanks, James. Okay, so that, hey, there's your coaching moment. Focus on what you want to work. Focus on where it did work and focus on what it would look like if it was working. And then, then have that conversation. And then if that doesn't work, get the flapper. Get the flapper. We're going to take a break, my friends, uh, and continue this discussion about the uh, the upside of the dark side. Kim Giles, one of our great relationship coaches, is, is going to be here to teach us about uh, our emotions and discovering our emotions. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Every time we play this music, we check our backs because we think the door is going to fly open and Don Shaline, our boss, will walk in. That sounds like he's mean. He's not. He just wears that black cape and the mask. Freaky. Welcome back to the program, folks. Today we are talking about the upside of your dark side on the um, phone with us. On the phone with us is Kim Giles, and uh, Kim is a, a great friend of the show. She's so patient with us, and so I don't know why we played that music. That doesn't seem fair to Kim because it seems like we're setting her up to be from the dark side. Kim Giles, uh, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Clarity Point. Here today. You're from Clarity Point Life Coaching. You're not from it. You are it. You're one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country, as named by Good Morning America. I've called you the top 20 in the galaxy. Yeah, I appreciate that promotion addition to my yeah. bio. But let's be yeah. clear. That has nothing to do with the uh, with the new, the new music we just played. Because that music yeah, pretty, was pretty dark. That up. <laughs> yeah. No relation to uh, Darth Vader. But talk, talk to us, Kim. Did you, were you able to listen to our earlier guest? I was, at least to, to the last part of it. You know what? The whole time I'm thinking, oh, Kim's going to eat this up. I was. Because that's, really your, that's your spirit. You, you always use you, – one of your great uh, philosophies of life is that life is a school. We are here to learn. Our value is not determined. You know, It's already determined. It's set. It's not going to go up or down based on your test scores today. Value is set. And that's what I was loving about what this man uh, was talking to us about earlier today is the fact that, you know, it's not about just being happy. Sometimes it's about living and learning in life. Yeah. You know, I read a study recently that said that people who pursue happiness end up not being as happy as people who pursue building and creating and loving and and really— That's it. I, that's yeah. what he, he mentioned that a little that's bit, value. but I, don't you love the idea? So the happiness is, could be an outcome. It could be a great benefit of finding other benefit in life, but your real goal should probably be a verb, serving, giving, caring, yeah, learning. learning, growing, hmm. sure. Hey, uh, is it true uh, you went on a camp, <laughs> a camp out into the mountains and, and somebody kind of got on your dark side? Okay, well, you know, your your last guest, I was excited when he started talking about mindfulness and that this was kind of a Buddhism thing, yeah. that they teach 
how to be mindful. And, and this is what I was after. Because, you know, this is everything I teach. Yeah. To get control of your mind and choose how you're going to feel about yourself and your life. And so I heard about this uh, Vipassana meditation course. And to be honest, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> so you were, trying to go, you were trying to go be enlightened I was, by taking a it, course. It's kind of like being checked into a concentration camp run by <laughs> Buddhist monks for 10 days. Oh, man. Sounds scary. It it really was the, one of the most difficult things that I've ever done in my life. Really? These ten days. I mean, you're you're first of all in a sleeping bag in a cabin with no heat up in the mountains, and it's twenty degrees and raining almost the whole time. And they don't feed you a whole lot. They want you to be kind of weak because sure. they want you to meditate eleven hours a day. Well, plus you're easier to to run down if you haven't eaten. Yeah, you can't they can chase you down easier. Yeah, you take a vow of silence. So I didn't speak a single word for ten days. Are you kidding? You know me. Yeah, just that would kill you. I talk for a living. I know. So you you didn't say a word. Mm-mm. Did you say a word to yourself? Like I mean, I would have talked to myself. Well, I have issues with talking to myself, and that was probably the hardest thing was to not talk out loud to myself. Because I'd, I'd made a commitment not yeah, to. Yeah, you'd made a vow. My staff is still making jokes. They don't believe that I could have gone 10 days without talking. <laughs> That's rude. But I'll tell you, there are some amazing things that you learn when you shut up. What did you learn in that dark, quiet, cold environment? I had a lot of time to, to be mindful and watch the stuff that kind of went on in my head. And one of the things I learned is that most of what we say probably isn't necessary. <laughs> you know what? You sound like my wife. <laughs> but it's not, is it? No, it's really, really not. And I, I realized how much of what I wanted to say but then couldn't because I you know, made a promise not to was kind of a PR campaign. It really? Was, it was wanting to manage people's impression of me hmm. and and you know when you can't say it it shows up in your head and you have to just kind of look at it and and it it also really served as a chance to look at my emotions and what i was feeling interesting and it, when you can't talk about it or express it you just kind of have to process it in a totally different way it was one of the coolest things well and your identity can't be anymore it can't be attributed to what you're creating verbally so your identity has to be what you're thinking in your head yeah and and just kind of the way you show up so i lived in this cabin with four other women for 10 days and we never could speak a word to each other and and so you get to know each other on a different level when you just watch somebody Mm -hmm. watch how they're dealing with things and um, did you still interact yeah. with them? Did you still look at them and like roll your eyes? I no. mean, I'd be rolling my eyes when all day you, long. When it was no communication, you weren't supposed to make eye contact oh, or even wow. look at each other. And no gesturing or, or anything like that. And it was really difficult because this was a tough experience. And there were times all of us were in tears and we couldn't comfort each other. Wow. You, you just had to process what you were experiencing. But one of the funny things that happened is is during the night I had a duffel bag up on my bunk bed, and I accidentally in the night kicked it off, and it landed on someone else, another <laughs> woman's 
Right on her head. Did she pass away? Well, I couldn't apologize. Oh. I can't speak. Yeah. I can't manage her impression of me. <laughs> could you do could you do resuscitation? <laughs> well, she was still alive. Okay. She, I heard her go, uh, and take it <laughs> off and set it on the floor. Um, oh. But there were a lot of little things like that where I, I couldn't manage their impression of me. Yeah. And explain myself and... Um, you, you realize how much of the time we're, we're in the need of doing that. Mm -hmm. Isn't that an interesting, what people think of us. that's a huge learning. How much of it is just us trying to keep our identity, you know, alive yeah, this, our and, and our impression. Campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, there were, just, there were so many lessons that, that come from this. I think. I, I had to really pay attention. Like, when I kicked the bag off, I experienced the emotion of shame. Sure. And because I couldn't relieve it by saying anything to her, I had to just experience feeling it. Mm. And and one of the things that you learn when you meditate for 11 hours a day, which I, it is so crazy. I, I The first couple of days, I can't focus my mind on my breathing for more than about 10 seconds and I'm thinking about something else. Right. So Jeez, that is, I just think of that and I think I would, I would die. That would be my, that would be the death of me. Actually, I yeah, did it. I, I did it in scout camp. I had a very similar camp with a bunch of scouts when I was 12, <laughs> but it, I, I don't want to go there. It's so tragic. Um, but here's what I want to do. You Kim. process some of your stuff. <laughs> yeah. We need to process it. No, no one on that camp talked either. And I got no sympathy. Yeah, I uh, let's take a break, Kim. We have to take a break, and then I want to come back and get more of your lessons from your uh, your adventure with the Buddhist monks trying to teach you how, how to find yourself, I guess. More with Kim Giles, folks. Uh, interesting story. Wow, a lot to learn. What if you were not allowed to speak for, let's say, three, four, five days? What would that be like? We're going to take a break, my friends. Come back, uh, get more information on how to, you know, deal with the dark side of your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, Michael Jackson. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make that change. Or, according to Kim Giles, go to a Buddhist boot camp where they take you out in the backwoods, cut you off from life, and don't let you talk. And you found yourself. Is that true, Kim Giles? Well, I learned some amazing lessons. I really did. Well, I mean, I think... I, I got and is this when did you do this because this you're all you're already a very deep person so for you to go as a deep person to go through this it would probably kill the regular human well i have to admit Matt, on day 3 i actually seriously was making plans to hike out and hitchhike home it got so hard <laughs> no i believe it i totally believe it 
By the way, this is so, this is Kim Giles from Clarity Point Life Coaching. You got to go check out her website, Clarity Point. Uh, is it Clarity Point Life Coaching? Clarity Point Coaching dot com. She really she's got more information, hundreds of and hundreds of articles, and uh, she's just a pro in every way, shape, or form. And she's human. We're finding out. Yeah. But I, I was thinking, I've got two lessons that Buddhist meditation camp taught me that I think you might enjoy hearing. Yeah, what, what are they? Okay, so the first one, um, Buddha taught, apparently, that when somebody says something that offends you and your emotions are hurt, feelings are hurt, you've got to decide how much you're going to suffer immediately over this cut that hmm. they just made. So he said... Um, decide immediately if it's a cut through water, and if you've ever cut water, you know it's gone immediately. Yeah. It just healed. Um, or is it a cut through sand, and if it's a cut through sand, it'll probably be gone by tomorrow. Huh. But or you decide. It's a cut through rock. Ooh. And it could be there for decades. Permanent. So water, sand, sand. or rock. But the operative yeah. word is you decide. Right. Well, how much do you want to suffer? And and that's just, I mean, that's the bottom line is how miserable do you want to be? Do you want to be miserable for just a minute or do you want to be miserable for a mm. day or for a long time? And that has really helped me. As a matter of fact, I, I had an interesting experience there when... When it was meal time, they would ring a bell, and we would go to this cabin, and we would go in, and there's 28 women, and there's a table with some cold food left out, and not a lot of food. Um, there would be like a bowl of fruit, and there's a couple bananas, a couple apples, a couple oranges. 28 women. Jeez. And you got to, and and most of the nights our dinner was a half a piece of fruit and some water. That was wow. our dinner. So. I was kind of late one day, and I got there, and most of it was gone. And there was an apple and kind of a nasty-looking orange left in the bowl. And I really wanted the apple, and I went to reach for the apple, and this woman just grabbed it from right out from under my hand and took it. Whoa. Did, you, so did you punch her? for a minute. Uh, <sighs> I'm, I'm really not going to get dinner. How much do you want to suffer about this? Mm. You want to suffer a little, or do you want to suffer a lot? Because you could dwell on this all night. You could be mad at this woman forever, or you could decide that hey, you know, you kind of wanted to lose some weight up here anyway. Yeah. Yay, you! You're going to get to lose some weight. But I love that though. The choice is—it's a choice up front. He said, "Decide up, decide up front, or decide immediately if you how yeah. you want to suffer." just decided I'm just going to be water. I'm going to be water all the time. I want to be water. I, I don't want to suffer more than I have to. So, Well, I love that because we're, a lot of times yeah. how we just sit here and we think, well, I'm, it's not my choice. He's the one that offended me. He's the one that hurt me. But how am I? And then they're always like, they defend it. Am I not supposed to be offended by that rude thing that he said? Well, you can. You just decide how long do you want this to go? Yeah. It's great. How long do you want to be bothered by it? Okay, so that was the first one. Lesson one. one. That's awesome. Okay, so the other thing Buddha taught was that all suffering comes from cravings and aversions to things. So we all have stuff in our life that we don't like, but it's here. You all have it. We hmm. may have health problems. You may have a grouchy spouse. 
you know, a rotten kid. I don't know, whatever's going on in your life. But you're not happy. You don't want that. And so you suffer over having to have this thing in your life you don't want. And then we've all got things we want that we don't have, that we crave. You know, if only I had this, if only my life would look like this, then I'd be happy. I don't know how many times a day I have clients tell me that. If only my spouse were different, you know, I'd be happy. Yeah. Um, and and we, we suffer a lot over those two things. But also, in every moment of our life, you have things you do have that you're very grateful for. You have... So many blessings in our life in any moment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if we had to compare the list of what's missing to what we have, we always have a lot more than what's missing. Right. Um, we also have some things that we don't have in our life, and we're really glad we don't have. <laughs> it's um, true. Really glad I you know, don't have certain health problems, or I don't yeah. have a child with cancer, and I'm, I'm really grateful for all those things. And every moment of my life, I'm going to have things in each of these four categories. Because that's the nature of life. Every moment of your life, you always will. Now, things in those four categories might move around. Right. But you will always have all four all the time. And so your happiness or the degree to which you're content in life, it really comes down to what you're going to focus on. I love it. So which quadrant, which of those four areas are you going to spend your time on? The the haves or the don't haves and the wants or the don't wants? Is that what that is? That's powerful. And so part of, they they taught us this in meditation because they made you sit, you know, cross-legged on the floor for an hour. And the rule is you can't move. You can't adjust your position. So you have to stay exactly how you sat down. Oh, wow. And... I get, I start getting aches and my oh, yeah. shoulder starts hurting and it feels terrible and I can't move it. And so in that moment, I have to decide what I'm going to focus on. Can I focus on these other parts of my body that don't hurt or am I going to focus on the one that does? Interesting. And I had the power, Matt, to totally focus on these parts of my body that felt good and the pain would would diminish. It was amazing our brains are so powerful, we have control over how much we're going to suffer. That's right. And yet we, we also feel so weak. Yet, So this is the paradox of all of this. We have things we want and we have things we don't want and we don't pay attention to certain things we don't want. We only pay attention to what we want. But we also have a lot of strength, but we don't know how much strength we have because we're always focused on how our uncomfortable weakness. we are. Yeah, our weakness. It's yeah. the brain. It's all in the head. It is. So I have to tell you, I'm I'm a big believer in meditation. I what I didn't get it before doing this, but I have to admit, teaching my brain to focus, which was no easy task, because <laughs> I am all over the place. Um, but it it has given me more clarity, more ability to choose how I'm going to experience things, and I can feel those emotions. And every emotion I feel is here to teach me something, because yeah. everything in life is to teach me. Oh, um, Kim, I love it. You it are... really an amazingly powerful experience, and I, just in case we have any listeners who would be interested in it, um, this is Vipassana Meditation, and there are courses all over the world that people can go to if they're in the mood for some 
beat down. Concentration camp experience. <laughs> if you want to connect to people that have been to concentration camps or prison. Um, but So tell yeah. me how that ends. So do they eventually just ring a bell and say, okay, ollie ollie in, come free, and then everybody runs in and then we all well, can talk? They, they give us a little time, uh, about half a day at the end, to talk to each other to kind of adjust before they send us out in the real world because we're kind of wigged out yeah. a little bit. It's, yeah. It's strange. 11 hours a day. I mean, they wake you <laughs> up at 4 in the morning. Oh, man. Hey, did that lady that you dropped your bag on ever come talk to you about that? You know, that was the first thing I did when they let us speak, is I ran right to her and said, I'm sorry, <laughs> so sorry I dropped a suitcase on your head. <laughs> she, had, she had a black eye. Yeah. Oh, um, man, Kim, that is so cool. Me. Well, I, there's a really powerful spirit there, isn't there? That You have the ability in your head to build whichever story you want to build, the ugly yeah. side or the, or the positive side. And, but, and really, you come, down, you come down to deciding how much you want to suffer. Yeah, I love that. How much do you want to suffer? Or, or are you willing to just turn it over? Be done. Yeah. Yeah, we, we need that. Every human being needs that. Well, I think, again, it's, it's powerful. Whatever it was, it, it totally worked. Because look at you, Kim. Smarter than ever. You are. Right? You're a superstar. Well, uh, okay, what else? Ra- wrap it up. Tell us the one thing we need to take away and the one thing you took away. Um, I'll tell you, the one other thing that really struck me about not being able to speak for 10 days was um, I, I needed to listen a lot better than I have in the past. And I've tried to make an effort to, to listen to others, but there's nothing like not being able to speak mm-hmm. that, um, that, that really taught you to just pay, atten- pay more attention to the people around you. And, and one of the things that our emotions and our suffering does is it keeps us focused on ourselves. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And it's, it's real shame that that's where we go. We create all this drama, we get stuck in our own stories, and we make everything about us. And I, I really learned to pay attention to the people around me and to make them my focus, and I'll tell you the benefit of doing that. What's that? When you get out of your own stuff and you really focus on others, you like yourself a lot more. Mm. You like who you are because you're literally being the love that's the core of who we are. I believe, you know, that we're children of God, and I believe God is love, which means we're love. And it's really who we are. And when we're caught up in our fear and our stories and our emotion and our experience all the time, we're not being the love that's who we are. And we... Of course you're not going to feel that good about yourself. Right. You're Which, not. That just causes pain. more That's tension, true. right? That just causes more pain, more loneliness, and then we have to focus more, and it just starts the spiral. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Vicious um, is so the word. We can turn that cycle around. We can choose to be content and okay with what is in our life, focus on what we're grateful for more than what's missing, and focus more on other people. And the more we do that, I guarantee the happier you're going to be, because that's really where happiness comes from. So true. And um, Kim, uh, if you, I have, a, I don't know if you know this, but I have my own retreat that I'd love you to come to. Really? Well, we do take I? we take you. We first we take your money, then we take you out back for about three weeks, and we don't talk to you. We just and we feed you an apple every day. You can have as many apples as you want. Wow. 
I don't know okay. what you'll learn. I learned it at scout camp. We also eat Twizzlers and root beer. Well, that would be better than the one I went to. Yeah, well, for sure. Kim, you're the best. That is a great lesson. Again, of course, you came through. Uh, you're you're a guru. See, that's where you reach guru status. Well, I have to admit, I'm really encouraging all of my coaches to go and do this at some point because it really uh, it changed it gives you. you a different perspective. Oh, absolutely. So I'll let you know when the next one is. Yeah, yeah. Sign me up. Sign me up. I might be busy. I, I, I'm really busy. I would love to go, but I'm a weakling, and I, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And then I'd cry in front of everybody, and then they'd kick me out for breaking the vow. Um, Kim, appreciate you. Again, everybody go check out her website, claritypointcoaching.com. Tons of great stuff there. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Maddie Richards is going to walk us through how our weaknesses can become our strengths. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm not crazy. I'm just a little impaired. Yeah, you are. Uh, we've asked Maddie to come, and this is her theme music. No, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Maddie, why, why, is your, why is this your theme music? Because I'm not I'm not crazy. I'm just a little unwell. I'm unwell because I'm on this show. Just kidding, Matt. <laughs> Seems kind of rude. Just kidding. Just hey, kidding. Uh, is it possible that you, for example, have some things that you don't do very well? A weakness, let's say. Do I have any weaknesses? But you've made them into a strength. Well, I, I'd like to think so. I hope so. I mean, I guess in my eyes they've become strengths. Maybe to other people I'm well, still really bad at Well, why don't you let them. us be the judge of that? <laughs> okay, okay. So what what, what were you weak at? So, I can't even think of anything. I know. You're so nice. So I, I've been thinking about different weaknesses that we have and how, you know, everyone's like, you can turn your weakness into a strength. It's like and you it's can like, turn your well, frown upside down. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's way easier said than done. Yeah, for sure. So I was thinking of some things that do are that, you know, you aren't very good at at first. So everyone, for example, no one's really good at riding a bike the first time they get on a bike. <laughs> Whatever. No one, no, I, no I one's really it. good at, no one's really good at driving the first time they get behind the wheel. <laughs> No one's no one's really good at it, but those become strengths. People yeah. become really, really good at those things. It's true. So then I looked at my own life, and I want you to share one too when I'm done okay. of things okay. that have I'll become. Wait. No, you yeah. can go first. No, go no, ahead. you go. No, 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 no. Okay. No, yeah. So the first thing that I thought of is cooking. When yeah. I was younger, I was not good at cooking. Like when you were six, you well, couldn't make dinner. When I was when I was like ten. You are young still. Okay. But when I was younger than I currently am. Okay, when you I, were ten. When I was ten, um I remember my mom left my brother who was thirteen and I to babysit our maybe we weren't that old, but our younger siblings. And we wanted to make instant pudding. And so we got all the ingredients and mixed it all together in a in a Bosch that we had, like mm. a Bosch mixer. Yeah. And we didn't know how to take it off of the stand because there's a hole in the middle yeah. that sits on the stick. It's not going to fall out, but we could not figure out how to get it off. We were worried it was going to come out the hole. Really, yeah. really embarrassing when we had to call my mom and ask her. And she goes, you just take it off. And we're like, no, mom, there's a hole in the middle. It's going <laughs> to all fall out. And. It was really embarrassing, but I, I've gotten a lot better so at cooking. So now you know that 
you just leave it on. <laughs> and you don't and you don't touch it. Okay. Yeah, no. I've gotten a lot That's better cool. at cooking. That's cool. Um some other ones that I thought of is I used to be a way more jealous person than I am. I'm still a jealous person, Are but you? I used to be so much worse really? at being jealous and getting like, envious. Did you, uh-huh. did, yeah, did you follow like people around and no stock. That, that's not that's totally different than being jealous of them <laughs> okay sorry but i've learned to be happy with what i have and with where i'm at um another one is i cared so much everyone does i think but i cared mm. a lot about what other people thought yeah i think a lot of people do a lot of, especially a lot of teenage girls yeah they, they do don't care no, they totally do what other people think about them but that's something i've been consciously working on to not not care not, that much. weakness that i have is now a strength of mine where i i like to think that it doesn't matter what other people think of me. It's what I think of myself and That's, how what my family thinks of me and things like did that. You, did you intentionally grow these things or did you just mature? So some of them were intentional and others, you know, just came as you grow up. But like, for example, caring what others think, I consciously decided I care too much what other people think of me. Yeah. And I need to stop that right now. Well, yeah, I've noticed with me you don't seem to care quite no, at all. No, I don't care at all what you think of me. <laughs> it just seems like you should. <laughs> Whatever. Huh. So do you want to do you want to tell yeah. tell a weakness you have and then we're going to talk well, about how you can improve well, your weaknesses, get them to be your strength? Well, I don't know that I have a weakness. but oh, um, okay. No, here's the deal. So I went to Tahoe to go to a wedding okay. of my nephew and my parents are divorced. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard that. But my mom brought it up and says, you always mention how we're divorced. (laughs) But what I realized is – so sitting in this room, my mom and dad were there and my mom – and my dad was there with his wife Uh of many, many years, 20-something years. And – but all of my mom – all of my brothers and sisters, we all have pretty good marriages. Mm -hmm. So I sat there and I thought maybe it's because we were – and by the way, I – so I do a relationship show or whatever and do classes and a book and all that. But my sister is a divorce mediator. Mm Mm-hmm. My other sister is like just way into healing and all this wow. other stuff. But here's the deal. I have a feeling that because my parents divorced, which was the dark side of my life, uh-huh. that it has changed me yeah. to be in a way maybe pro-marriage, yeah, and pro-relationship. And I think it changed my whole family. Yeah, yeah. I think One so divorce changed everything. And we would think for the bad or for the worse. No. But honestly – it built some pretty amazing, strong yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I want – that's how I'm hoping that everyone who's listening can look at their weaknesses. So in the example that you gave of your family, the first the, – I've got some steps of how to turn steps. a weakness okay. into a strength. So you identify that there's an issue. You identify yep. that you, your parents didn't have a good marriage. Yeah. And you wanted something different. Um, you find a mentor, a role model of Love someone that, that yeah. you want Somebody to that emulate, knows how to do it. That yeah. is good for my example. That's good about not caring what others think. Well, or like somebody at, that knows how to work a, a blender. Yeah, exactly. Someone who knows how to cook, <laughs> right? Yeah. Then you try it. Try doing it. Try doing it. Yeah. So you – or you, for your example, you try being in a relationship and you then take a step back and say, this is what I'm doing wrong. You yeah. correct things. Yeah, yeah. And then you keep trying. Do so you don't again. do, do it, it. Do it you, again. You're not going to get it right the first time. I love like that. I said, you keep doing it. You no, correct exactly. and keep doing I it. I found – I would. I just used academics. So I just started studying experts and the experts – taught me what works in marriages yeah. and then I practiced it and taught it and practiced yeah, it. Yeah, and when you didn't do something perfectly in your marriage, yeah. it, it doesn't mean that you give up. It means that, you, okay, you correct it and then try harder the next well, time. Well, no, but like, like that's saying I never did it No, and, and that's just a hypothetical because yeah, I mean, you're obviously perfect. Yeah. Um, then another thing that I found really helpful is having a visual reminder. 
What do you mean? I mean, for me, I have a, an alert on my phone that sends me a, an inspirational quote. Cool. Every it's like every other day or is something. Is it from me? Do I? Are, no, are they my it's quotes? not. No, it's not you. But okay. it's the it's a it's a quote about you know not caring what someone thinks or what you value yourself, yeah. and that reminds me visually of my goal to make this weakness into a strength. Well, plus you get a letter from your. Um, Fiance, boyfriend, okay, stud fiance. guy. That you're not the, <laughs> oh. fiance, but the guy that. So you don't need to be jealous because he's away in Japan for two years yes. serving an LDS mission. He just sends you a letter every week, and that's a visual reminder that someday he will be your husband. Maybe I'm hoping we'll see. And you're not, you don't need to be jealous because <laughs> yeah, he's just out there. Yeah, serving. There, there are all kinds of visual reminders. Whether you those are good. Get something you. Uh, Make a note on your mirror that says practice doing this or practice doing that. Yeah. And then the last one is just encourage encouragement. Encourage yourself by giving yourself rewards for doing it. something. Notice when you are doing Notice it. Notice when, that it's ex- happening. And be grateful that you're doing it right. Maddie Richards, you did it. Thank That's you. That's beautiful. And I'm glad you're not jealous anymore. Thanks. I really tried. And now I'm not even jealous of you for having your own radio show. I know. But that means you need to quit saying it's the Maddie Richards Townsend show. Okay. Okay. I'll stop. Because it's just Matt Townsend's show. Thanks for that visual reminder, Matt. Hey, we're out of here, folks. Here's a quote from Marcus Aurelius. You ready? Very little is needed to make a happy life. It is all within yourself in your way of thinking. That's what we've talked about all day today. It's in your way of thinking. Shift your way of thinking. Hey, tomorrow, guess what? We're going to be talking about superheroes and the psychology of superheroes. Join us tomorrow. Be thinking about your favorite superhero. Maybe there's something you can learn about yourself. When it comes to uh, superheroes. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're out of here. Again, thanks for listening to the show. Keep looking for the good in the world. And we'll talk with each other tomorrow.